0: You know, there's always some way to get a blessing of some kind, um, and there's plenty of churches that that are affirming, and I think there are actually plenty of priests, you know, Catholic priests that would, you know, kind of, you know, in a, in maybe a, um, kind of on the down low, you know, kind <laughs> yeah, of yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. a blessing, a DL blessing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Welcome to The Gayly Dose, the weekly podcast made for and by gay men and their allies. We're a podcast with a mission, elevated conversation with the hopes of building a deeper sense of community in the gay world.
2: Child, it's time to come take your Gayly Dose.
1: Welcome to The Gayly Dose. This is
3: Kalmut Lucero Domogalski, and I'm joined today by my friend,
2: Dante Adonis Rhodes and also while I'm speaking I want to remind you to check us out online at thegailydose.com on all social media platforms at the Pod, and you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts at thegailydose. Don't forget to leave a review and give us five stars if you love it and if you don't love it still give us five stars please. What's not to love? <laughs> you.
3: Oh, ooh, I'm kidding. I'm ooh, kidding. Ooh. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I'm excited today because we're bringing you a dose of Sexy Jesus, a fitting title for a discussion with a man who sits at the intersection of sex relationship therapist to the gay world often, as well as gay pastor and minister for the church. Um, Sexy Jesus is in many ways an oxymoron and asks the question um, if those two words should actually be paired together. And we're excited to learn more about this from our guest today, Josh Noblitz. Welcome. How are you all doing? Good. Um, We're excited to have Josh here, who is a therapist and also a pastor. Um, And he's going to share a little bit of himself. So, um, Josh, you want to. Our our handshake at the Gaily Dose is our coming out story um, and how we've come to to be a part of the queer community or an ally thereof. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Yeah, I love hearing people's coming out stories. It's a a major part of my intake process with every client, just hearing how they. You know discovered that made peace with it discerned it and just how all that plays out because it's a major mile marker in anybody's yes life. but um i mean like many of our community i d- realized pretty early on that i was attracted to people of the same sex but obviously hit it um, because that wasn't culturally appropriate in suburban charlotte north carolina where i grew up um and you know got picked on a little bit and about between fifth grade and eighth grade or so those tough years i think for for a lot of folks um and just got called all those names you know that um and so a large part of my coming out process was putting my name and gay in the same sentence and not kind of freaking out about it mm-hmm. because i couldn't make it be what all those people had said to me early on you know those hurtful comments that were gay had been used as a weapon against me or used to marginalize me and Um, So I had to kind of really reframe the word gay itself, Um, and it wasn't as much of a religious um, barrier for me. Um, I grew up uh, having pretty pleasant experiences in church and um, just really enjoyed my youth minister and my friends. It was a a big source of of joy and um, community for me. Um, but the message there also was that homosexuality was was uh, inappropriate at best, um, and you know that it was a, it wasn't one of these hell, and, and that wasn't really the issue. It was just this is not what we do, and <laughs> like cultural, yes. yeah, cultural, and I mean it was definitely made over so southern, yeah, <laughs> is it? Uh, yeah. And you know I grew up in the Methodist Church up from the cradle, so uh, we Methodists, but you know we're just. Folk. We like to show up with casseroles when people are sick, and we like to sing, and casseroles we like to sort honey. of shake hands, and just <laughs> yes. that kind of thing. And that's that's the church environment that I grew up in, which was just very much about, you know, we're all in this together. And Community. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, the, good, the good part's about congregational life. Um, but that lingering doubt about homosexuality was there because it's like, well, I know that these people that I love and that I have cared for me and really been there for me mm-hmm. have said this, and I trust them. But yet, I also recognize that there's something different in me and my understanding of my own experience, and so then I have to, you have, I had to kind of figure out, okay, is my perspective just as legitimate as their perspective is? And one of the main reasons I went to seminary, I actually came out of the closet finally, uh, my first, maybe second semester at seminary. I think a lot of gays go to the seminary because we, <laughs> you know, trying to go back to the source to figure it out, like to sort yeah. of go back to the original language, go back to all the two thousand years worth of church tradition and. And see just how this question has been engaged over you know uh, two thousand years.
3: I'm so. glad you said that because I feel like I've met many a pastor that I'm like,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just because I think there's an inquisitiveness, and I, I've also noticed the gay Christians that I know, a lot of them have really um, sought the scriptures and really kind of worked through questions a mm-hmm. lot, so that's interesting,
0: yeah, absolutely mm. so and and how old were you when you? So let's see, that would have been probably about 22, 23, somewhere in the oh, early nice. 20s. Nice. So how did you, like, what was yes. the process
2: of coming out like? Like, What's the story behind that?
0: Like, So I mean, I in, in when I was an undergrad, so I always found myself sort of drawn to gay folks or people that I perceived to be, even though it was sort of like just kind of seeing a part of myself alive in the community mm-hmm. and being attracted to it and wanting to commune with that part of self. Um, So I always kind of sought out and had as peripheral sort of, in my mind, they were mentors. They probably didn't know that I thought of them that way, (laughs) Sure, but just watching them. And then also folks, uh, I remember one of my favorite people when I was in uh, undergrad, she was the director of leadership and orientation at Greensboro College, which was my alma mater. Um, And she uh, had a gay brother and had like lots of gay friendly books and paraphernalia around her office. And so she was sort of signaling to me and many other little gays, baby gays that were starting <laughs> to come out of the closet that she was a safe space Aww. and just would plant those seeds. You so love was, that office. I can tell I you. Did. I did. I was always just office. like, especially when she when she was out, you know, down the hall or something, I'd be like studying the books <laughs> and like, you know, I love that. taking notes of the title so I could go sneak and check them out later. <laughs> That's cool. Um, but just like having people like that around that just, just gave me some additional information over the years, planted those seeds for me to be able to to come out when I was ready. Um, and then when I finally did say, okay, I think this, this is me. Um, one, my dad had actually done a really uh, um, good thing for me. Um, I remember about a year or so before I finally came out to my family, m- my parents had a sense that I was kind of struggling with this um, and my dad <laughs> said one time, we were sitting on the back porch um, talking one evening and he said, Josh, the only way you're gonna be able to figure this out is if you go out on some dates with some girls and see what that's like and then go out on some dates with some guys and see what that's like and in a way that that really was the blessing i guess that i yeah. needed to was, hear
2: oh that would have put so much peace in my
0: heart me too i feel like that was a good dad yeah some, like, with some guys yes yeah. yeah so you're
2: like
3: okay dad thank you yeah
0: and of course i mean i was kind of embarrassed to hear him say that but also just thinking about it later it really helped. I mean, it really yeah. gave me what I needed um, because I have a close relationship with my family. I want to be in good relationship with them. And and that was what I And we, I've, I've talked about that later with my dad. We processed that. And he, he said, you know, it really kind of went against everything that I kind of knew, but it just is the most logical thing. So I was trying to be a good dad and just say what made sense. Oh, and that
2: is beautiful. Just, yeah.
0: So now they're they are they big allies and they live up in Asheville, which is a big sort of gay oasis up there in the mountains, and they they set up a booth at Pride up there in Asheville oh, I love and that. like I find out about That's it after sweet. the fact. I'm like, Y'all didn't even invite me, you're gay son. <laughs> they're like, We're flying the flag for you, That's honey. Right. <laughs> we
3: don't need you anymore. We got this. We got right. this. That is so, so sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That sounds like a joyful um, process though I'm sure it was hard along the way. Yeah. Um, so tell us about um, becoming a pastor and being gay. What, like? Tell us that journey for you. Why you? Um, why you sought out being a pastor, and then how you kind of brought these two together in in your ministry.
0: So um, as I mentioned a, a moment ago, church was a very affirming place for me growing up. Um, it was a place where, you know, I had adults that were interested in me, that kind of mentored me. I had friends. We did retreats and camps, camping stuff, and there's always just some activity at church to be involved in, and I really enjoy it. Choir and youth group and um, stuff like that, and so um, just because I was always there, um, a lot of the little old ladies in my church just sort of said, oh, you're going to be a minister when you grow up, young man, and I'd for lack of better plan, I was like, okay, I guess I'll just kind of roll with this and see where it goes. And, you know, I finished undergrad. Um, I majored in political science. I, I changed my major about four or five times when I was an undergrad. I just have commitment issues when it comes <laughs> to <science>. uh-huh. <laughs> well Because you wanted to know it all. Yeah, right? well, so I started out as uh, I was undeclared to the last possible second. And then um, they forced me, to, so I declared religion and did a little bit of that. And then ended up with enough credits to get a minor, but just was like, oh, that's not right. And then I was a theater major for a while and did enough to get a minor in theater. And then... And you kept... weren't out then?
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> that, like, that was the dates phase. I was an actress. I was an actress, right. But I wasn't out.
0: <laughs> they never knew. They never knew. They had no idea. <laughs> Um, and then I ended up with political science. So I had a major in poli- uh, political science with a minor in theater and religion, which is such a random Very <laughs> classic liberal arts education. Um,
3: well, there is, though, a theater to the pulpit.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely have drawn from all three of those areas in my um, career as a therapist as well <laughs> as, you know, um, in, from in, in church as well. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I did all that. And then I took a year off. Um, to I did this faith-based AmeriCorps program out in Oakland, California, um, working with high school kids and um, just really had a, a real, it was a really powerful experience for me. And then I had already applied to Union Seminary in New York City because I wanted to study under James Cone, who's a big liberation theolo- uh, theologian. Um, and then I uh, gotten into the Candler School of Theology here at Emory in Atlanta, and um, they gave me a full ride. So I was like, oh, I really want to go to New York, but the cute coins are kind of cute now in Atlanta, so people where the money resides. <laughs> Affordability <laughs> is very attractive so, yeah. when you're going to have a pastor's salary, yeah. you know? <laughs> so I did, again, this is all kind of for lack of better plan. I had adults in my life that sort of said, that this is kind of what we see in you, and I rolled with that. So anyway, I came back from the West Coast and um, returned to the South and. Um, have been here ever since in Atlanta and and then as I said you know being in the Bay Area San Francisco is right there I was living in East Bay in Oakland and of course on my days off I would get on the BART train system and go over to the Castro District and just kind of walk around and you know, just kind of be in the energy of the community, you yeah. know, which is really powerful and scary and kind of adventurous and that kind of thing. Especially when you're right on that edge of coming out.
3: Oh, I relate to that. I yeah, just lot, did that a lot in my twenties, <laughs> <laughs> married, and i be like in <laughs> a space. It was, and you were yeah. just near it, and you just felt somehow like just enough. This is yeah, like somehow I'm yeah. supposed to be around this space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: and that's. I mean, and I remember you all remember Outright Bookstore that that I was do. here in Atlanta, and those those bookstores I think are becoming fewer and fewer, and they have. They were such a powerful uh, thing in my life coming out, just sort of being around books and seeing different titles. And then there's usually a coffee shop and usually just, just those kind of environments were so helpful for me um, in making that step to come out. And so I really lament the loss of a lot of those spaces um, just as technology has changed and people are buying books less but yeah yeah. it's interesting
3: because all those spaces have now gone into digital formats right Mm -hmm. so it's like a space online or a podcast or someone you're chatting to or an instagram friend Mm -hmm. you know it's very different
2: i came out during the digital era it's very different it's easier in some ways though because like any question you have you can literally google it and like thousands of Forms. You get all the scopes of opinions mm-hmm. about all the different issues and it's all available, which can be dangerous sometimes. But it's also like very helpful because like I found out a lot about things that I was curious about literally from just like mm-hmm. typing into a search bar and seeing what popped up. So yeah. it's like interesting. Like there was less struggle of discovery because of that.
3: Which is really a kind of a blessing for people. Yeah. Um especially in our part of the world meaning our queer corner of yeah, the world.
0: Yeah, cuz people can it's it's much easier to find out that you're not alone. Yes, that this. was what it was. Yeah. Like I didn't feel
2: weird for long. There was a short moment where I felt like is this odd? But then like no, there's like a ton of people mm-hmm. out there who are also gay and they're like adults, so like if they're doing something right then I'm on the way to doing something right. So it's interesting.
3: <laughs> so you finished seminary and then went into ministry immediately and
0: I started the ordination process and of course I'm a pastor in the United Methodist tradition that's the church I was born raised in you know all those activities I mentioned were in the United Methodist tradition and so that's my home church which still to this day uh is not affirming of LGBTQ folks fully I mean we've got individual congregations such as my church St. Mark United Methodist Church which is a predominantly LGBT congregation locally but the denomination still does not. Uh, they call it self-avowed practicing homosexuals. They don't affirm. Um, <laughs> this title is <laughs> self-avowed, self-avowed practicing, practicing homosexuals. Practicing homosexuals. <laughs> right. So, which, interestingly, if you want to get fundamentalist about it, it's like you have to be self-avowed and practicing. But if you're not self-avowed but practicing, you're good. <laughs> that they would not buy that. But uh, anyway, it's just a funny. <laughs> so are they are
3: they self-avowed practicing heterosexuals?
0: Apparently so. Apparently. They all got up in some secret ceremony and swore their allegiance to. The heteronormativity. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would turn that shit around.
2: When you will have the ceremony for the gays, let me know. I'm ready to pledge Right,
0: but I mean that the the rules in the Methodist Church are that that it's not a it's not you're not allowed to be ordained if you are a self avowed practicing homosexual, um, and and what they usually mean by that is that you're not dating or in a relationship or cohabitating with somebody in mm-hmm. that way in a public way, and you have to say it to out loud to a bishop or to a certain Configuration of the church hierarchy; otherwise, it doesn't count. So I could get on the Oprah show or get up from my own pulpit and say it, but until I say it in front of a certain group of people, then you know, then it counts. So it just—it's just silly the way it's all set up. Yeah. Um, and that you know, the United Methodist Church doesn't condone same-sex weddings either, even though I've done dozens of them, and make no apology or secret about that. And so, I mean, my, you know, my ordination is kind of on the line. But the Methodist Church is is about to split into two different denominations. We really? would have done it already, but the pandemic hit, and the the General Conference that we were oh, really be the behind
2: at, the scenes, like religion behind TV. the scenes, at the Methodist
0: Church. <laughs> I mean, it's been a struggle for about, probably about thirty or forty years around this issue. Mm-hmm.
3: Interesting. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah,
0: and so we've just reach just like kind of the political division our, our country really is mirrored quite um, very much the same in within the United Methodist Church is that it really comes down to churches that like the gays and churches that don't like the gays if you want to really boil it down to its essence and it's just and I think that's part of what we're here to talk about today is just some of those you know assumptions that Christianity uh, has, has made or different parts of the Christian tradition has made about homosexuality over the years and shame and pleasure and all of those things i mean sexual shame was baked into the very foundation of the christian tradition you know way back and i think we are trying to sort of unpack a lot of that still
3: we are we really really are so let's let's dive a little bit more into that um i i think there are many here in the south especially there are many people who did grow up with a christian tradition of some sort and so for them, um, church is kind of out, right? It is something that is associated with um, poor experiences, um, self hatred. Um, we talked about that in our episode on uh, the congregation. Um, growing up gay, um, what what do you, what do you see as you now are leading a church? Um, what do you see as uh, the place for gay in the church?
1: Pink Neon Productions presents the groundbreaking eight-time Tony award-winning musical Spring Awakening Created by Steven Sater and Duncan Sheik This coming-of-age rock folk musical traverses and navigates the controversial themes of sex abuse, suicide, homosexuality and questioning religion Stream Spring Awakening from the comfort of your own home Select dates April 2nd through the 11th Go to PinkNeonProductions.com now to purchase tickets.
3: As you now are leading a church, um, what do you see as the place for gay in the church?
0: I mean, I obviously uh, have made peace with my own sexuality and being a Christian at the same time. Um, I, I don't think that they have to be. in... I don't. I think it's a false choice to say that it's either this or that. Yeah. Um, and and I think. Um, that is a question that that anybody who comes out of the closet who is Christian and wants to maintain their tr- their faith has to make peace with that question, and it's an individual journey in a lot of ways. Um, and to me, like so, I'll, uh, this is not me trying to lead a Bible study here, but but one of the ways that I I just have the lens by which I interpret all of the scriptures, all the whole tradition is in Matthew. There's a. a, a a little story about when a young lawyer comes and asks Jesus what the greatest commandment is. And Jesus, without missing a beat, says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is just like the first, and that is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so in that is love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. And then Jesus also says, and all the law and the prophets rely on this or based on this. And so to me, that says that You have to interpret all of the scripture, all the history, all of everything that we do in light of love, God, self and neighbor. And if anything that we come up with doesn't align with that, we got it wrong. And we got Mm -hmm. to go back to the drawing board and come up with something that aligns with love of God, love of neighbor, love of self. And that love of self one is, I think, one that we gays have to really focus on because just that shame. There's this awesome book called The Velvet Rage. I would recommend it to everybody who's listening to Mm -hmm. this. Um, And and just that a lot of what makes gay male community what it is, um, is that we are responding to that baseline of shame that I think a lot of us have felt because we were taught even before memory you know, what is masculine, What is what it means to be a boy, what it means to be a man, what it means to be, you know, and that that is way over there and we are way over here. And the difference between those two things is bad, which means that I'm bad and that's shame, you know. Um, And so we do a little extra to sort of like compensate for that shame (laughs) in a lot of ways. Some of us do a lot more (laughs) extra. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's
3: true. I mean, the shame journey is is there. And what's interesting is that... um, it's inherent in many cultures and many faiths, not even just the Christian walk. Um, there's just a lot of shame around being queer, mm-hmm. right? Um, even just practically with no religion at all, there are many cultures that that's just not the, the machismo, the masculine, the mm-hmm. the, the bra thing to do. I don't know. I don't know a word for like a Russian word for man, like a rrr. I don't know. You know, I just thought of Russian people uh, because there's there are a lot of places in the world that struggle right. with a lot of shame. Um, towards a queer community. So given that, um, I- I'm a, a gay guy and I, um, you know, some people put it at peace by just rejecting the need for a God or force, um, the need for a church. But with that, you lose sometimes um, an important place to take your burdens, mm-hmm. right? Even just as a single as a person, just as a, sure. if you don't have that. Construct in your head. Um, And the other thing is you miss out on that community that you were talking about in the Mm -hmm. Methodist Mm -hmm. uh, uh, tradition so If I'm gay um, Which I am what where where do you go? How do you connect like what are the things you would advise someone who wants to explore or reconnect with? um, with Christianity
0: well, so um, and with
3: Jesus I guess
0: yeah, and and I think that one of the things that I, I can speak for myself in terms of that, I had to really get to a point where I recognized that nobody owns the Christian faith. You know, nobody owns the Bible, nobody owns the Methodist Church, even or any other denomination. We all participated and have various levels of leadership and involvement and engagement with it, but nobody owns it. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a perception that there is somebody out there, some committee or some leadership group or some priest or whatever that owns the church and I have to get in line with what that person believes. And that is not true. That is not true. And and I so I that's a, a personal journey that that everybody has to to go on themselves. But in and I think that there are ways to find affirming churches. In fact there's a, a really helpful website called gaychurch.org. And you just it's an easy website and it pulls it up and you just type in your zip code and it'll show you a little map with all the different you know, churches oh, in so the fierce. area that are that is and, yeah, right here in Atlanta it has like dozens and dozens of them. Um, probably a lot in Atlanta. You know, yeah, and they've all been vetted and just to make sure and
3: probably more here than um, New York. Do
1: <laughs> <laughs> you think so?
3: Or Washington State?
1: yes? <laughs> we're in the south, girl. Yes. Oh, <laughs> like a, I'm a church churches. in every corner. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Definitely
0: more churches overall. I'd say.
3: Yes, I agree.
0: But I think uh, that it's important. It, it's important because. Um, in order to engage the sort of the questions of faith without having to justify one's existence i think is a really helpful thing to find a, a church where that's not something that you're having to prove or talk about or disagree with or get into arguments about or leave offended after you've heard you know <laughs> that that you could just show up and just just think and yeah. sort of worship and commune and be be oneself. Be yourself. You know? yeah. So one of the things
3: that I find fascinating about you is that you're also um, a sex therapist. Yes. And, um, you know, you talked earlier about the Christian tradition um, really having a lot of, you know, Challenge with sex and how to deal with sex in a healthy way, um, and I I think that not only extends to you know the queer community, even within the straight community, oh, yeah. um, the challenges around um, you know um, sexualizing as a, a straight man or a straight woman are often challenged by ideas that the church has around sex. Um, wanted to share a little bit about what it's like to be a sex therapist, and you know, um, and a Christian.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting how life sort of brings you all kinds of different things, that, for me at least, that I just didn't expect. And um, when I got my, my license as a marriage and family therapist, um, all of my clients wanted to talk about sex. And I was like, well, I, I, mean, <laughs> me, I want to be a competent source of... I mean, who doesn't like talking about sex, first of all? So I was like, okay, let's dig right in. <laughs> but I also wanted to be a competent source of information as they are working through some you know, pretty... Um, intense sexual presenting problems. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of those problems are compulsive sexual behavior, um, you know, erectile problems, mismatched desire in relationships where one partner has a high drive, the other has a low drive, and it's become an issue in the relationship, infidelity, recovery, fertility stuff, um, pain during sex, those kind of things. Um, And and what I find is that um, almost all of those presenting issues are tied to deeper uh, layers of shame Anxiety, belief system, body image, those kind of things. And so, somebody that has the nerve to pick up the phone and call a sex therapist is is ready to do some deep work. Yeah. Um, and we almost always get to that deeper stuff quicker, which is what really is energizing for me about about being a sex therapist. Um, and and so anyway, that that sort of is just funny how life uh, brings you different things. And so that I'm a sex therapist now, and being, you know coming from the Christian tradition where a lot of that belief system, that sexual shame is just, it's just palpable. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to talk, you know, not be afraid to talk about spirituality and religion and belief systems and things like that it's, is really helpful, I think, for, for a lot of folks. Um what would you define as sex, addic- uh,
2: sex addiction? Like I want, like I'm always curious about that. Like people are like, I'm a sex addict. I'm like, mm. so what makes this person a sex addict, and what makes someone like not a sex addict? Like where does that line define as?
0: Yeah, I mean it's interesting. So first of all, uh, the the semantics is important because there's a there's a bit of a, a going back and forth within the therapy community about sex addiction versus compulsive sexual behavior. It's describing the same behavior but different frameworks and mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, by which we approach it um, and i kind of fall in that just identifying it as compulsive sexual behavior and so that it, it is a bit subjective because we want to be sex positive we don't want to shame people and i definitely am a sex positive person and clinician um and so the, some of the things that i look for when trying to help folks think through whether this is um, a problem is you know, are there other areas of your life that are falling by the wayside in service to the sex that you're having? So, are are you showing up late to meetings? Are you not, you know, you finding that your personal relationships are becoming a bit more distant? Are mm-hmm. you spending hours and hours on the apps? Are dishes and laundry and things like that kind of piling up? Are you keeping it a secret and hiding it for people? Those are the kind of behaviors that indicate compulsive behavior or addictive behavior, um, and so that in in each person has to kind of identify for themselves just like with any addiction or any compulsive behavior whether this is functional or not and then we kind of set some goals and work through it from that point but it's it's really i mean because there's lots of people that have all kinds of sex and they live a very balanced life they're fulfilled they you know and it's not a, a problem and far be it for me to you know lead them in you know that, that this is a lead them to believe it's yeah. a problem if they don't feel like it's a problem in their life so I don't know if that answers your question.
2: It does. Yeah. It does. It makes no, no no, I've never really like had a chance to talk to someone who works in that field, so I've always just been curious.
3: No, it's interesting because there's so much inherent shame often in um in us growing up around um sex and our sex, particularly because we're gay. So, all, you know, there's sort of a that double shame. Yeah. So you're like, Ooh, you know, um, shame exactly. And then, and then you're kind of like, okay, well, Hey, like what is the right level? I think it's a great question. I, I had this, I literally, we kind of Josh and I talked pre pre-gamed a little bit and we wound up having <laughs> the same conversation. I was like, this is just mm-hmm. crazy. Um, but I do think the, the real point there, I love this idea. Like if it's in the dark, if you're putting something in the dark, there's probably you gotta put some light on it, right? Get other people get other people aware, you know. But
2: my thing is like, is it everyone's business? Because I keep no. my sex life very, very, very. It's not very, everyone's very, no. Like, it's in a little bitty box thrown very far away from like public view.
3: Yeah, no, I'm not gonna go on the microphone until all my business.
2: But I mean, like, <laughs> is that does that make like it scares me sometimes, like, is that a compulsive behavior or is that just me being private about that part of my life? Interesting. Like you could probably set up a session with Josh. <laughs> <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> he might give you a discount,
3: girl. <laughs> geez, <please>. A mess. <laughs> no, and so um, what is interesting too is the the desire to get help around this area. Um, do you find that um, that in the you most of your clients are queer, gay? Is that a niche
0: in and of itself? I mean that that's one of the niches that I really. decided to kind of occupy as a from a marketing perspective is to be kind of one of the the main sort of sex therapists for gay men in Atlanta I mean and so I'd say probably at least 60 percent maybe a little more of my practice are gay individuals or relationships
2: really that is incredible Mm -hmm.
3: yeah I feel like that would be um very rewarding in Mm -hmm. terms of the work because you you're getting to help these um, people like you heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very um, rewarding. Yeah, and I think you know very similar. We had um, an episode on gay health where we had gay physicians talking about. Um, I'm so I
2: missed that episode. Yes, oh. talking
3: about um, um, working with the gay community. I feel like it's very similar for therapists. You know, going to someone that really understands your journey mm-hmm. and your sex life or desires in some way. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you wouldn't relate to all the pieces, but. Um, in some ways, that's very helpful. You know, top, bottom, those conversations for you yeah. are very, yep. they're normal. So. Yeah, it's very familiar.
0: <clears throat> <Excuse me>. and, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there's conversations that are needed to be had. And, and there's, I think, because of some of the sexual shame that's built into our culture, whether it's religion-based or wherever it comes from, makes those conversations difficult even within couples or yeah. in, in relationships. Um, not for all, but but I think for some, there's still... Just some of those fear around engaging in in meaningful, authentic conversations about desire, pleasure, bodies, positions, like all those kind of things. Do people
2: ever come to like sex therapy to talk about like monogamy? Oh, yes.
0: Yes. All the time. Um, and varying levels of opening their relationship or not, or what the you know what the terms are about that, and, um, and whether that's a good thing to do or not. Um, do, yeah. you,
2: do you think that it's a good thing, or like, what are your thoughts on
0: monogamy? I I've seen it work. Um, I've seen uh, there's a really there's lots of great books about this. One is the Ethical Slut, and I forget the author. <laughs> I love um, that name. Yes. <laughs> that's the book. Yeah, yeah. And then the other one that is really helpful is a book called The New Monogamy by this lady named Tammy Nelson. And what she's doing in her book is 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 reframing the word monogamy to be not just only having sex with one person, but being faithful to the covenant that is made. And so sort of coming up whatever, like, let's be as clear as possible about what we are agreeing to in our relationship. And there's a colleague of mine put together a really like a 10 page uh, little worksheet to help folks ask questions about flirtation and pleasure and fantasy and interaction. And what terms do we have around, like, let's get real clear about all this, you know, leave as little as possible to the gray area.
2: That is so beautiful. And then
0: test it out for a couple months and put a date on the calendar by which we check in and see, is this working? Am I feeling scared? Am I feeling angry? You know, what how is this Working, and if it's not working, then we tweak it, and if it is, then we remain faithful to this thing that we've agreed to. So that's that's a tool that I've found to be really helpful for folks. And um, non-monogamy is not for everybody. You know, I think a lot of folks try to to open up a relationship as a last ditch effort to save the relationship. Oh yeah, that's usually um, all of it hits the fan. <laughs> and that I don't think is a helpful place to start or the motivation, but anyway, so we could, we could have a whole episode on that. But but, you know, we
3: could, but you know, it's such an interesting issue because, um, it is a very hot issue. It's one of our first episodes because monogamy, um, it's just, it it gets people and they're very, for our community, particularly because there are so many open relationships and so many varying levels of people's Mm -hmm. honesty amongst what they're doing. Um, there's pressure, within people they were who are coupled where it's kind of assumed or they must be open right i've 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 you hear that though you know when you look at the numbers many of us aren't um, and then on the single side it's like people are also like well how open do i want to be with a person and therefore it becomes a a a, a meter mm-hmm. in in dating someone right how where am i on the spectrum yes. i want to make sure i'm matched up with the right person and i think what you just described is really kind of a brilliant way of thinking about it, you're going to potentially couple off with someone, great, but you're going to have a potential contract that may, will be the unique contract that is you and that contract person. Contract sounds too business. Covenant. 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 Okay, I'm thinking contract, covenant, agreement. Covenant. Yeah. But agreement. Well, and
0: also that it doesn't have to stay. I mean, that that covenants I think have seasons, you know. And so there may be a season which we open the relationship up and explore and bring a third in or go do you know whatever whatever that looks like, and then sometimes when there's a lot going on and people feel kind of at capacity. They don't have space for non-monogamy. Like it's just too much to try to Covenant's you back in. to be able to ask your partner for a season of monogamy, I think is perfectly legitimate. And and again, these things that they, they have seasons. They have um, uh, they're constantly evolving. I think the the ones that are healthy, I think need to be just attended to on, you know, on an ongoing basis.
3: It is so encouraging to hear a pastor who has a faith practice and at the same time has such an open view around the sexual experience that still allows for um for growth and Mm self-discovery to me that's just a little bit mind-blowing and very encouraging
2: because that third one is love of self that's why Mm -hmm.
0: well and i recognize that um that might just me being who I am and sort of saying the things I'm saying, and, and it can is controversial, you know, even to folks within the in the gay community. And so I, I acknowledge that, and I'm happy to be in dialogue about it. But, you know, this is this is where I stand. You know? Yeah.
3: Well, I think the reality is that that is undeniable that that is the, your intersectionality. You have been put in this part of the world for this reason to be this intersection of Christ follower, sex therapist, and just a wonderful human
1: <laughs> and a homo. Outfront theater company is Atlanta's LGBTQIA theater company located in the heart of West Midtown. Since October, 2020, we have been producing shows in our theater and streaming them online. Currently we are streaming our chromatic cabaret through April 12th. Bursting with color and song, The Chromatic Cabaret is a celebration of all the shades of the rainbow and every bit of pride that shines beneath it. Next up, we will be streaming Robert Casey's groundbreaking play, Jerker. Over the course of 20 phone sex conversations, two men living in San Francisco in the 1980s connect in explosive and emotional ways whilst a newly discovered virus ravishes their community. Tickets for all streaming productions are available by visiting OutfrontTheater.com. Outfront Theatre Company exists to tell stories of the LGBTQIA plus community. And as a nonprofit organization, needs your help to continue telling those stories. All donations made to Outfront are fully tax deductible and can be made at OutfrontTheater.com anytime. Insightful, innovative, inclusive. Outfront Theater Company.
3: So we, we've kind of talked about the, the current state of the church. What, what do you think, kind of looking forward, um, as we think about gay and Christianity? Um, what's your take on what we should or shouldn't be doing as a queer community.
2: Especially with marriage. That's become a hot topic oh, yeah. again. It's like mm-hmm. a reoccurring hot... Like every few years, it kind of comes
3: mm-hmm. up
0: again and it's like on the table.
3: Yeah, so, yeah, with the Catholic Church, right? Yeah, yeah. this
2: time around.
0: Yeah, that was kind of heartbreaking to to hear the Vatican make their recent announcement about... Which really was a reaffirmation of the stance that they've had all along, which is that they don't, they don't bless same-sex marriage or unions. Um, I love Pope Francis. I really appreciate um, just the fresh... Breath of fresh air that he has brought to the Catholic tradition. I obviously am not a Catholic myself, but um, all of Western Christianity really has been kind of birthed out of the Roman Catholic tradition, mm-hmm. you know. And so I just kind of like to watch and see what the Vatican is doing, what the Pope's doing, and, and it doesn't surprise me to hear that. It's dis, it's disheartening, um, but it's it's reaffirming the status quo. Um, and that Pope Francis has also said that it is it is not appropriate to withhold communion or to you know you know to shun or to treat in an inhospitable way you know gay folks so he's made that abundantly clear as well because oftentimes the exclusion piece comes with hostility and rudeness mm-hmm. yeah in a lot of ways and so I, I appreciate that part there's still a lot of work to to do and, and many of our denominations certainly the methodist church is in the middle of wrestling with this this thing has been for decades but um you know it, i i I could appreciate why that would be really um, hurtful to hear if, I, as, as a, you know, for somebody who's a gay Catholic, but, um, but it's not new information, you know. And there's a whole bureaucracy that comes along with, with the Catholic Church that, um, you know, it just takes a long time to change.
3: Well, and it kind of re, for me, it kind of, you, I almost immediately go back to all those bad feelings of, oh, I'm not in the club. I'm not allowed, mm-hmm. um, you're gonna say, it's not okay for me to basically function healthily mm-hmm. with a partner who, I, I don't care, move on. Like I, that's, <laughs> I, unfortunately, and that's, I think, that's why it's so hard because the, the concepts, the good parts of the faith, and I'll just say the faith in general, right? I think there are many great things about a belief in God and the community of a church, but when it, then you have to sacrifice self you're kind of like stuck, right? Because right. you've got the God part, you've got the neighbor, but then you're kind of stuck in this, oh, but self's not allowed at this church. That ain't cute. I'm not down for that. I'm not, you know, it's, right. yeah. it's sort of our fight um, because you're either going to accept us and embrace us and encourage us or you're not. Um, so I think it's very interesting because you're sitting inside of a non-affirming um, environment, there are many other gay Christians who are in these non-affirming v- environments. Um, what do you say to them? Like how, how, what would you say to encourage them? Um, or what should they do as they kind of think about their Christian faith moving forward?
0: Mm-hmm. So I just, um, and I think this is an, is an evolving and ongoing conversation, but I, I think it's important for folks to, to, to maybe think think through what a blessing from the church means to them, you know, so if I want, you know, I'm wanting my Catholic priest to marry me, he, he can't do it, um, because of the, the, the rules of the church, but what would that blessing mean? Uh, and then also to perhaps begin to separate what civil, the civil aspect of marriage and the religious aspect of marriage, because, you know, here in the United States, thank God, anybody can get married Mm -hmm. now. Um, and, and so, I think it's actually a healthy thing to kind of separate out the civil piece from the religious ritual ceremony of it Um, and just kind of take that power out of the church and make it it's because it's basically a contract you know and for purposes in you know from a legal standpoint we are contracting to do life together in these ways you know i can get certain visitation rights inheritance you know sharing of expenses debt all that kind of thing like that's what a, a civil marriage is and get that done in a civil way, and then, you know, there's always some way to get a blessing of some kind. Um, and there's plenty of churches that, that are affirming. And I think there are actually plenty of priests, you know, Catholic priests that would, you know, kind of, you know, in a in maybe a um, kind of on the down low, <laughs> you know, kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe a blessing, the you DL, know, so, DL blessing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> which is not the same and is not right. And I think we have to kind of take ownership of our own faith and, and not leave it to the, you know, the whims of somebody else, but to, to own it for ourselves. Yeah.
3: yeah. You know? I, I, the one thing I always think about is I think about the children that are gay or queer that are being born to non-affirming parents. Um, and that's, that's the one reason I'm very thankful for those gay Christians that are in those non-affirming churches, but continuing to, Fly our flag amongst mm-hmm. amongst those um, non woke people. I don't know how to say it another way, um, because it's so important. Not just to, it's really important for the children, for those people's yeah, children.
2: A visibility.
3: Yeah, yeah. So um, as we wrap up, um, what do you what? So we kind of talked about the the church. What, what about just generally for the queer community? What would you What would you share a wish for us? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, one of the things that, that I really appreciate about, about your podcast and what you're doing, the space that you're convening here, is this concept of intergenerativity, you know, where where different generations are able to interact with each other, exchange wisdom, um, and just kind of hold each other in solidarity. Um, I think that's really something that we need uh, in the gay community and the queer community is that, that we need... Um, there's nothing wrong with sort of sexual interaction, but sort of platonic interaction between different generations I think is so helpful and I really could have used a lot more of that when I was coming up. And because of the the spaces, you know, aside from bars and clubs and things like that, the spaces by which intergenerations can kind of in, you know hang out and interact with each other are I think becoming less and less. And so we have to be creative about fostering that. And so I so appreciate just the conversations that you all are having where where there can be that kind of back and forth and that dialogue and that exchange of wisdom and perspective. Um, so that would be my, my wish, and I appreciate all, all that you all are doing to make that happen. Oh,
3: that is beautiful. I know. Thank you. <laughs> but you know what? That's great. Um, I I do think—I know your church is that kind of place where you can get that sort of intergenerational connection. Um, I, I think you're right, though. We, we don't have enough of it, and it, I think it's a great, a great vision for the future. Yeah.
2: I'm so here for that. Right? I am. I know. <laughs> well, no, I mean, we're
3: kind of in an intergenerational mix. I know. You me. How old are
2: you? I'm 44. And yeah, I'm 22. We're 22 yes. years Ooh, apart. Double your, double your number. do look yes. at that, honey. <laughs> 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 oh, Just for one more year.
3: Oh, well. Oh, so thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I, um, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate it your walk and um you you're sharing yourself brilliant because...
2: mind everything you shared i'm just like in awe i love it all <laughs> it's, it's it's everything i'm in lost for words oh what you <laughs> shut up <laughs> <laughs>
3: so thank you doll so much for joining us we look forward to talking to you next week Thanks. Yes.
2: thank you for having me it's been an honor